Well, good evening, family. How are you tonight? Would you stand and worship our King and Savior with us? I stand. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And wonder how he could love me. A We're so glad you're here. You are welcome to take a seat. Well, good evening. Good evening. Oh, thank you. Travis's mic is on. That was fantastic. <laughs> well, hey, welcome to Fellowship Mosaic. We are so, so glad that you are here. And um, hey, uh, we just want to welcome you to this place. And we, if you are new, 
visiting for the first time, we would love to get to know you. And so we are a family of Jesus followers who meet on Saturday nights to worship the Lord, to celebrate what he's doing, and to hear from his word so that we can be shaped by it. And then we gather during the week in small groups and homes to continue growing and to build relationships with each other as we walk with Jesus together and serve our community. So that's what life around here looks like. And it, we would love to get you know, to know you personally if you're new. And so there's a couple ways you could do that. One, you go to mosaicnwa.org slash I'm new, um, which the lack of punctuation and web addresses drives me crazy, so it looks like mnu, um, but that's what it is. So mosaicnwa.org slash mnu, and then you can get connected that way, or you could drop by the center booth in the foyer uh, after service and meet someone face-to-face. We'd love to get connected with you. Hey, here's what's going on tonight. Um, we, one of the things that I have heard feedback on regularly is we just don't tell y'all what's going on enough, and people feel in the dark and like they're not hearing, and one of the most regular questions is they say, who leads this place? <laughs> like, who are these people? And why don't we ever hear their names? And we want to know who, so like, hey, that's actually a fair question. So what we wanna do periodically is just kinda of have a little family meeting. We did one of these back in December, just to touch base and tell you some things that are going on. And so we wanna talk a little bit about leadership, introduce you to some people you might not know yet, and, and own one of the reasons that we don't talk a lot about who's leading is actually very intentional. It's built into the philosophy of who we are as a church. Um, A a passage that that just really gripped the heart of leadership at Fellowship decades ago was Ephesians chapter four. And in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, Paul is writing about the church. And he's writing about what the church does and the people who lead the church. And he says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. So he gives a list of different kind of leaders in the church, and he gives the purpose that they serve in the church. It's one of the clearest statements in the New Testament. And he says, here's the reason he gave leadership in the church, to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Here's the point. What does Paul say the purpose of leadership is? It is not to do the ministry of the church. The purpose of leadership is to equip everybody in the church to do the work of the church. So here's what that means practically for us. There are a lot of models for how to walk with Jesus and how to be a church that look like all the people in the church exist to fund and support the ministry of a really talented pastor. And so the goal is... Which we are not. Which, yeah, that's, it's Amen. a really pragmatic decision. We don't have anyone that good, so that model would fail. You gotta work with what you've got. So, and so in that model, the goal is, is you have a really um, you know, talented, gifted leader, and the goal is to get everybody to come hear that leader. And the ministry is identified, the ministry of the church is identified with the ministry of that leader. Now, I'm not here to knock that model at all. In fact, millions of people have come to Christ, had their lives transformed by ministries of really talented people whose names you would know, okay? Um, So I'm not here to like knock that model. I'm not here to put down anyone who, if you know you have a church and you know that's the church of this well-known pastor, that's great, that's awesome. Um, And in all sincerity, we just don't have anyone that good. So, plan B. or what we are really excited to make plan A is this. The, 
instead of the church existing to support the ministry of staff, we believe the staff exists to support the ministry of the church. And that is everything our model is about here. And so our dream, when you get to know us, when you, get, when you come at Fellowship Mosaic, if you're going through the discover process, our dream is not that you would walk away going, man, I am so compelled by the pastor's ministry for this church. Our dream is that you would walk away going, wow, a fire has been lit in me for what God's gonna do through me in this church. And so oftentimes when people come and say, hey, what is Fellowship Mosaic gonna do about this needy population in Northwest Arkansas? The answer is gonna be, we are really excited to follow you in answering that question. If you feel passionate about that, then we are gonna follow you in that ministry. And so we exist as a church to just light, just fan the flame in what God is doing in everyone in this room. Now, we can go too far in de-emphasizing leadership to the point that we never actually tell you who anyone's name is, and that's not good. So we wanna correct the extreme here and talk about uh, some of the leadership. And so another thing that's a part of our model is we don't have a head pastor. We really resist having one person in charge because we really think leadership needs to be shared. We think there's better accountability in that. We think it represents better the way Christ puts his body together with different gifts. And so in our model, we actually have, for here at Fellowship Mosaic, we have a team of three that kind of share responsibility of leading um, the rest of the staff. So I wanna introduce you to kind of our, our, the technical term we use is the operations team. You don't need to worry about that, I don't. And so um, this is Colin and Kyle Jackson who are not related to each other, um, but it worked out really well, except for when I wanna say Jackson in a meeting and it totally fails. So, um, I'll let them each kind of tell you what their role is and what they're responsible for. So I serve with our community team, Carrie Tucker sitting right here, Jerry and Sue Dudley. Uh, anything, we, we exist at Fellowship for celebration, what's taking place in this room, and then sell the, the, the small group gatherings throughout the rest of the week. And so I actually have the task of equipping leaders of passionate men and women who desire to see discipleship take place in our church. So I get to serve with our community ministry and that team of helping this body continue to connect and to grow together in homes throughout Northwest Arkansas throughout the week. And it's a joy. Yeah, and my name is Kyle Jackson. Again, not related, but we're really good friends. It's a good name. Um, and I serve as a worship team leader, so I get to serve as anything that happens basically in this room and in, from the doors in in the gathering space. So from this uh, scattered mentality, we're in small groups and we gather and worship um, I, I serve with that. So Laura is on my team. She serves with some of our students in worship. And then Erin Duvall, you'll see her running around here. She's our production coordinator. And she takes care of a lot of our logistics and elements and kind of is the, the glue that holds a lot of our services together. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to be a part of Mosaic. And then I'm Nick. And my role on the team is particularly kind of leading the staff. And so working with the family ministry staff for what all happens with kids and students and then focusing on Bible teaching, doctrine and training and that kind of stuff. So that's, that's the thing that I really focus on. And so in our leadership model, when it comes to all things small groups, um, Kyle and I, lead, like we follow Colin. We report to him on our small group structure and we follow his lead. When it comes to what happens in the worship service on Saturday night, we follow Kyle and, and we follow his point leadership. And so um, we're gonna obnoxiously deflect 
any question about who's the lead person around here because it really is a team leadership model. But we want you to know who those faces are, who those names are, um, so that you don't feel like you're in the dark. And Kyle is the newest member of the team. He joined us, uh, he's, he's been on staff at Fellowship Lead and Worship for a while, but he joined our team as the, the team leader for our celebration services in January. So and I think we had a few people who were like, oh, he's on staff. Yeah. <laughs> So we thought the best way to get to know Kyle and to make him really uncomfortable would be to have just some get to know Kyle questions and that he doesn't know about. And so we're just gonna throw some random things at him. This is not and, good, this is not good. Yeah, he loves this for the, the musician a, who loves it. a chord chart. So, favorite like candy? Uh, I'm blank. <laughs> No, Kit, like Kat. Candy. Kit Kat. I like a Kit Kat. Kit Kat. Like Kit so I've been totally engrossed in the Beatles documentary, Get Back, recently. Ooh. So, Kyle, who's your favorite Beatle? John Lennon. John Lennon. I tell you, I have, I never thought I would have said this, but watching the doc- documentary, Ringo is a saint. Like, oh my goodness, with all the diva drama with the other three, I'm watching Ringo going, that's the guy I want to be friends with. Truly. But anyway, um, Kyle, how long have you been leading worship? Oh, man. So I started leading worship when I was about 14 years old, and wow. uh, just off and on through the years, through college. Cool. And where'd you go to college? Uh, Washita Baptist University. Any tigers in the room? Hey. hey let's go. And Baptizing. at Washita Baptist, you studied? Uh, biblical studies. So I did not know nice. how to read music in college, so I studied the Bible. Wow. And, <laughs> and here you God are. was very faithful to lead me into a, a job of leading worship. So. Authors, who you read? Who you some uh, go-tos? I mean, I'm your classic Willard guy. I love Foster, John Mark Comer. Um, I Sounds love like I love Doug Moo for some reason. Uh, he's a great scholar. <laughs> I enjoy his stuff on Romans. Yeah. Doug Moo like writes really massive technical commentaries <laughs> on Greek. So that's not me. That's not he's me. really nerdy. Is what he just exposed. <laughs> no one likes reading that except for him apparently. <laughs> so that's fantastic. If you, if someone was going to take you to a restaurant to get to know you more, where do you want to go? Local Lime, so I can have the. Steak fajitas all night long. Mm-hmm. That's good. Beautiful. Uh, your greatest hope for this room, mm. worshiping Jesus in this room together? I want people to experience Jesus, um, and I want people to know that this is not the room that, that people can only experience Jesus in, but it actually kind of starts outside of these doors. So that's my greatest hope uh, for the years, to people, for people to experience a true, authentic Christ as they worship. Mm. Yeah. Family? I have a wife and a son uh, my wife's name is Meredith, who serves with Colin on the community team, and then my son's name is Graham, and he's one year old. Cool. Yeah. Yep. He's awesome. He's a cutie. Well, we wanted to just, this is like everything about doing this, about like naming leaders and roles feels so uncomfortable and squirmy to me, so I, I hope to never do this again, but <laughs> we'll have to do it, but in, in all sincerity, like we are thankful to lead together, and um, our, our desire, and the desire of everyone on this staff um, we exist as a church staff to pour into you to see the Holy Spirit bring giftedness and transformation in your life to launch you and every member of this church into serving across Northwest Arkansas in the place God has for you. Um, and that is what we exist to do. That's what our, our team exists to do. And that's what we wanna serve you in. So we just wanted to say hey and let you know who this team is and uh, and we're excited to worship together tonight. We're also about to launch in for the next three weeks on, on a series of teachings just on who are we as a church.
What's the vision for this church? What are we going after together? And so the three of us will be teaching those next three talks. And so we're excited to grow together and uh, move forward as a congregation. So another something I love about a culture that releases ministry is that our lead worship guy isn't leading tonight because he loves handing leadership over to other people. And that's a big model of what we do. So in light of that, Kyle, you want to pray over our night tonight? Love to. Let's pray. God, we love you. Um, Thank you for um, systems and models of ministry, God, that um, we can remain faithful to. But Father, would, um, Lord, in your grace, would you help us remain faithful to your word and what you say is true. So prepare our hearts to worship, God. Prepare our hearts to experience you tonight. God, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. And uh, oftentimes we like to do what's called a selah, which in the Psalms is a break with, from the lyrics and just a chance to sit with God and, and his presence. And so we wanna start at that posture tonight. And uh, you've seen the news, yeah? Um, and we thought, what better way to start our night tonight than just praying for what God's doing in this world. And uh, so we just wanna take a second to create some space for you to pray. If you want to do that alone, just you and the Father, that's fine. If you wanna pray with the the roommate or the spouse or the friend or the community group you're here with, we're gonna create some space now just to start our time from a posture of prayer. And uh, three prompts just to get us all praying in the same way. I think how beautiful is it that a church in Northwest Arkansas is praying over the devastation of the church and what they're facing in Ukraine. And... uh, I feel like as followers of Jesus, the kingdom of God knows no borders, so it'd be pretty foolish to not pray for our brothers and sisters, both in Ukraine and in Russia. And uh, um, this is our Father's world, and he's good, and he's great. And even in the darkest night, he's, he's shining through. And so could we align our vision for God's purposes, even in this difficult time, not just in Ukraine and Russia, but even in our own neighborhoods, even in our own hearts. So please take a few moments and let's pray.
Fellowship Mosaic, what an incredible blessing it is to gather together, to pray together in this place, and to worship our God together. It's such a blessing. And we, every Saturday night, also have a beautiful opportunity to gather together and to give generously. So will you pray this prayer with me tonight as we prepare our hearts to give and to continue in worship? O oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask imagine. We give freely, not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your son and your spirit. Amen.
and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You take a seat. So originally the plan was that Bentonville was going to have its first worship service tomorrow morning in their new campus. And so tonight was going to be this celebration that Bentonville's launching, and then we were going to say, now that Bentonville's launched, let's talk about Mosaic, Fellowship Mosaic and God's vision for what he's doing here in this new era after launching a campus. And Bentonville's been delayed, and so just pretend that we got the timing right. And just play along, okay? So now that Bentonville's all launched and we're all excited, um, we will keep you informed on when that's happening. We're still waiting to, to get all the certificate of occupancy and all that fun stuff. And so, But we do want to talk while we're excited about launching the new congregation in Bentonville, the new campus up there. We're excited about what God's going to do there. We want to talk about what God's doing here at Mosaic. What, what do we believe, what do we see the vision for this congregation being going forward? And... I love entrepreneurial people. I love people with big visions. I love people with new ideas. And we want to be a place with creativity and big dreams. And at the same time, we don't have license to reinvent the purpose of the church. That was actually already given to us 2,000 years ago. So while we can have all kinds of new dreams for cool new strategies and and ways that's going to take shape, Our ultimate task is to be faithful to the purpose that God has already given us. And that's what we want to call ourselves to as a congregation, is to stay the course of what Jesus has commissioned his church to do for the last 2,000 years. Our goal is to be faithful with all the ingenuity and creativity that God brings through his spirit to different people. We want to be faithful to the task he has given us. C.S. Lewis, as he so typically is, is incredibly clear on this point. Lewis was a, a, a 
scholar of literature at Oxford, a philosopher, and a faithful follower of Jesus. And Lewis summarized the purpose of our faith this way. He said, every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. Now, this already is is a slight shift in perspective of what many of us may have heard the purpose of becoming a Christian is. In many of the presentations that I have heard across the course of my life, the purpose of becoming a Christian was to get out of hell. The purpose of becoming a Christian was to change your destiny after you died. Now, is that a purpose of following Christ? Yes, absolutely. We care about eternal destiny. We care about what happens after we die. But that stops way too short of a much bigger vision that Christ has for every single one of us. Christ does not stop short of caring about what happens to us after we die. He wants to start transforming us today. You see, the idea of eternal life is that it's not just the eternal life that starts when you die. Eternal life is life that starts now in Christ. Uh, Mark Schatzman had a phrase that I just love. He would always say, he would say, following Christ is not like life insurance. Because life insurance, when do the benefits of life insurance kick in? Once you're dead, that's a really ironic thing, isn't it? Life insurance is a benefit that begins when you die, and that's the way a lot of people tend to think of their faith. It is, I'm trusting Jesus, so a certain set of benefits will kick in upon death. And Mark would say, no, following Christ is not life insurance. Following Christ is a birth certificate. It's the beginning of a new life that is so strong and so powerful that it will sustain you through death. That when you come into relationship with Jesus, he puts a new kind of life in you. You are so vitally connected to him that not even death will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. So do we care about life after death? Absolutely. Absolutely we do. And we root life after death in transformation that starts right now. So our purpose as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is to become more like him in everything we do. And our purpose as a church is going to be driven by that. So we have some language that we talk about around at Fellowship. Ultimately, as a church, as a people, we want everything we do to highlight how amazing God is. We want to glorify God in everything we do. That is the the story of all of Scripture, is that all the glory goes to God. By the way, if glory and glorify is like weird churchy word that you're not used to, um, I'll, I'll try to say it the best I've heard explained. The the word for glorify or glory in the original languages, it means for something to be weighty or to have substance. Here's how that uh, works. Both my wife and my daughter are small people. And so when we sit on the couch together, um, they tend to fall in toward me because I am significantly larger than both of them right? And so there is this, so I am highly glorified on that couch, right? The point is, when you think about glory, the idea is is something is so substantial, it works like gravity. Everything is drawn to it. It becomes the most significant thing. 
To glorify God means to acknowledge and to draw attention to the fact that he is the most significant thing in all of existence and to orient all that we are around him. So first and foremost, as a church, we exist to glorify God, to draw attention to who he is. And then our vision, what do we want to see? We want to change the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas and the world. We want to see our community and our world transformed by the glory of God. Not only do we want to see our own lives orient to him, we want to see our entire community and our world reoriented to know this good and glorious God. So now how do we do that? How does that happen? There's so many ways people try to change society, right? There's lots of different strategies out there. Um, Most people will recognize something has gone wrong in this world. And there are a myriad different strategies and attempts to fix what's broken. We believe that Jesus has actually given us a prescription. He's actually given us an answer for how the world gets transformed. And we find it in that passage that Travis read earlier. There are a couple of passages of scripture where we generally are gonna preach straight through the Bible in different chapters, different books, and try to get exposed to as much of the Bible as we can. But there are a couple of passages that we're probably gonna come back to over and over and over again. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20 is one of those that we are gonna come to over and over again. It is a, an immeasurably significant passage. It gets called the Great Commission because these are the words that Jesus said to his followers after he had died and risen again. They gathered around him. These are some of his last words that he tells them before he went to heaven. If you've ever had one of those last word conversations with somebody where you, where you knew, um, I remember my, when my grandmother was not doing well, um, she, mentally, she was really struggling. Most of the time, she wasn't very aware of where she was, who she was, what was going on. And I remember that Christmas when we knew we did not have much time with her left. I went over and sat down beside her, not knowing what kind of conversation I was about to have. And it was as if in that moment, she had lucid clarity. And you know what she said to me with that moment of lucid clarity? She looked at me and she said, hey, Nick, I want you to know something. I love the Lord, I love Jesus, and I know that when I die, everything's gonna be okay. And that was the last clear conversation I had with her. That was a significant moment when she realized I have a moment of clarity and I'm looking at my grandson and these are the words she chose to tell me. When we look at last words people have, even though we wanna take the whole of Jesus' teaching with utmost importance and significance, these last words have a special place. And this is what Jesus said when he gathered his disciples around him. They come to him and he, he starts with this phrase, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In fact, it's interesting, there's a, there's a little bit of a bookend that goes on here with the phrase that he chooses at the beginning and at the end. He starts by saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then look at the end. He makes a promise. And I am with you always to the very end of the age. Think about how these two ideas 
working as bookends shape the activity of Jesus' followers, the authority of Christ and the presence of Christ. Notice the the scope of Jesus' authority. All authority of heaven and earth. This is a radical claim. This is the the Jewish carpenter's son from the backwood town of Nazareth says, I have been given charge over the universe. You think about what a crazy statement that is? Anyone else who says that, we call them insane. I mean, you gather a bunch of people around a mountain and you stand up and say, everyone, I've been made ruler of the universe. That sounds like an absurd claim. Unless the person you're talking to walked out of the grave 40 days earlier. You see, that's why when you read the account of Jesus' life, he he seems to be incredibly coy about his identity before his death. Every time somebody tries to pin him down, like, who are you? Why are you doing the things you... He answers in riddles every time. He seems very reluctant before his death to be straightforward about who he is. And then after his death and resurrection, he lays it all out there. And he's willing to say, now that you've seen what I've done, Now that you've seen the purpose of my life, I'm willing to make the claim. I have been made ruler of the universe. Now, if all we had was ruler of the universe, we might imagine some like ancient Greece, like Zeus-type figure sitting up on the clouds with his lightning bolts ready to strike us if we mess up, right? He's the commander-in-chief up there in the heavens ruling over all the universe, do what he says or else. But then on the backside, he comes around and says, and I'm going to be with you. Right there with you. It is crucial in our understanding and following of Jesus to hold these two together. So many um, Jesus followers and churches get off track when they choose one to the exclusion of the other. We're going to see that a lot in this passage. There's going to be some some ideas that seem like they could be in tension with each other that have to be held together. If you go to the side of really emphasizing Jesus is with us and he loves us and he likes us, you can end up in a place where what we end up preaching is you're the king of your life. You do you and Jesus is going to high five you while you do it. Jesus is here to help you find the the best way to live for you and you to become the best you. And he's just really excited about what you're going to choose. We end up with a best pal, Jesus, who's just really excited to be with you. And he doesn't have permission to challenge anything you're doing. That would be that he's with you alone. On the other extreme, we have Commander Jesus who lords over you, who tells you what to do, who's always disappointed with you, and is completely absent when you're in pain, who has no comfort whenever you failed and messed up. But the balanced picture of Jesus that we get from his life and from the whole of the New Testament is someone who is both our Lord and our comfort and friend. That's really hard for us to hold together. Um, I think probably it's because of 
our own human failure that we rarely see people who can do both well. Who can be both kind and empathetic and present and also lead with authority. Matching that balance perfectly, um, I don't think anyone's been able to do it except for Jesus. And yet he puts himself forward as the one who has absolute authority to rule the universe and perfect loving presence with everyone who follows him. And it's with this bookended picture of who Jesus is that he sends his disciples out. I think if we lose sight of that authority and that presence, this mission that he sends us on goes off the rails right away. Now, going forward from from these two big ideas, Jesus gives them their commandment. He sends them out to do a mission. He gives them a purpose. Now, in, in this passage, there are actually four verbs. I'm gonna do like a nerd grammar thing for like three minutes. So please stay with me. If like sixth grade grammar was the worst experience of your life, I'm sorry. I'm, I, at least I'm not doing math. So just hang with us, okay? Four verbs in this sentence to describe what Jesus has sent us to do. One of them is the central command verb, and the other three help fill out the picture. And so we're gonna take, a, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands. I don't wanna embarrass anybody, but I want you just to make a little vote in your mind over which one do you think is the central verb? I'm gonna tell you what the four of them are. They are go, make disciples. In English, it comes across as two words, but in Greek, it's one word. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Those are the four words that describe the mission Jesus is sending us on. I'll say them again. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. So everybody, put it in your heads. Think about it. Which one is the central idea of this passage? Okay, you ready for the big reveal? The central command is make disciples. Everything else centers around, in in English, it's kind of hard to see it. In Greek, it's very explicit, the grammar. Make, Make disciples is the central command of this entire passage. Everything else goes with it. Now, this would take us way, way, way too far down the grammar nerd train, but the word go is so attached to make disciples, you really can't separate them. It really comes off as one command. It would be like if I said, if I asked somebody, hey, would you go get me a coffee? You can't really separate the going and the getting, right? They kind of come together as one action. And that's how the grammar here works. So really what we end up with is three ideas. Go make disciples, baptizing, and teaching. The commission is get out there and make disciples. That is the center of the mission that Jesus gives us. So what does this word disciple mean? What does it mean to make a disciple? That has become really churchy language. Um, We don't really like talk about, my guess is like in your onboarding process at your company, you don't have like a discipleship program day one where you learn like getting discipled in programming. Like that's probably just not the way we use the language. It's become a really churchy word, but it would have been a very common term. And the idea of a disciple is someone who comes under someone else to learn a way of life. That's the idea is here's somebody who's walking in a path that I want to walk in with them. And so I'm going to choose to come under them and learn how to live. Some contemporary words that would work really well are the word follower. Um, A lot of people really like the word apprentice and apprentice captures it really well. The idea that when you become an apprentice to someone, you're saying, "I, I I want to do what you do the way you do it. And that's what the word disciple 
means. The question is, who are we becoming a disciple of? The answer is absolutely Jesus. And we got to be really, really careful here. Because sometimes we might think that the answer is, I need to make people more like me. And the reason that will ultimately fail is, A, there's a, the, the good and the bad is going to get mixed together when you're trying to make someone like me. But the other thing is, the Spirit's doing something unique in that person. And if I try to, make, if I try to replicate me in other people, I will squash them into a box of giftedness and passions that look just like Nick. But rather, the goal is, is to say, hey, I want you to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus and let him bring out the uniqueness in you. See, this idea of becoming a follower of Jesus, becoming a disciple, does not flatten us all out to look the same. Again, to quote Lewis, Lewis had a great metaphor like this. If, you've ever, if you ever take salt and just eat it straight, it's a pretty strong taste, Right? You might imagine that seasoning your food with salt would make everything taste the same. And yet, surprisingly, somehow this really strong seasoning brings out the individual flavors of a lot of different food. He said that's what following Jesus does. Somehow, this incredible figure, our Lord and Savior, the more we become like him, the more the unique beauty of each person shines through. So that all the things that the Spirit is doing in that person begin to be unleashed from the things that's been holding him back. So our central purpose as a church, the thing that we exist to do is to make people followers of Jesus. To help people become more like him in every way. And Jesus even gets more specific Because the next two verbs tell us how to do that. How do you make a Jesus follower? Uh, Jesus isn't like, he's not showing up in the flesh here on Thursdays at five for people to come learn from, right? So how do we, without Jesus physically here, help people become like Jesus? He gives us two words to describe the process. The first one is baptizing. Now, there's some confusion here Uh, for many of us, because we we get into this really odd fight. Baptizing is the act, the ritual that Christ gave us to do to show that my loyalty and allegiance has shifted to Jesus. That I'm saying, I am committed, I trust in him, and I want to be his. It It is a ritual ceremony as someone is laid down in water and brought back up to show that they are identifying fully with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, over time, we came to this really interesting question of, well, can I trust Jesus and not be baptized? Does the dunking in the water save me? Or is it the faith that saves me? If you had asked any first century follower of Jesus, they would have been really puzzled by that question. In fact, we have no evidence that early, early followers of Jesus thought to ask that question. It's a little bit of an odd one from their perspective because in this culture, ceremony meant so much. The idea of of going through a ritual ceremony to show the significance, to mark the significance of a moment was embedded in what they did. It's a little, it would be similar to the question, can I be married without a wedding? 
can, can I be a married person without having a moment where I say, we're making a vow here? And in a certain sense, the idea is that going through the process of looking each other in the eyes and saying, I'm committed to you, I make a promise to you, I make a vow, you have a moment where you make that vow that you, are, you have made internally externally visible. Doesn't mean it has to be a big party, doesn't mean you have to book a place, but you have a moment where you make a vow to each other. Similarly, in Christ, there was a moment that Christ gave us to say, I want you to symbolize the beginning of your faith in me with this ritual of baptism. So, just like we can talk about the externals of marriage and mean the wedding itself, right? So, like, if, if Beyonce were to talk about it, she'd say, if you like it, then you should have... I'm glad some people in here knew that reference. 6.30 will be right with me on Beyonce. So, when you talk about putting a ring on it, when I take this ring off, I didn't suddenly become unmarried, right? The, the ring is a symbol, but it's a symbol that we all recognize so that we can talk about putting a ring on your finger, and that is synonymous with getting married. Similarly, the disciples could talk about getting baptized, and that was synonymous with becoming a Jesus follower. So when Jesus said baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what he's saying is, bring people to faith in me. Bring them into a new relationship. We tend to use the term evangelism, which just is a fancy word that means gospeling people, telling them the good news. The first part of making a disciple is to bring people into faith with Jesus. Tell them the good news and invite them to give their life to following Jesus. That is an essential part of making disciples, is telling people, and, and it is part of this message is that no one is born a Christian. Okay? No one is born a Jesus follower. Every person, no matter what kind of churchy background you've got, every single person is born in need of Jesus. Every single person must be invited to a moment of commitment of I am giving myself to Jesus. And so the discipleship journey begins with this evangelism moment of inviting people to faith in Christ. And then it continues with the second part of it, teaching them to obey how much? Say it again. How much do we teach them to obey? Everything I have taught you. Now, I got a question for you. Where do we find the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament? I'm setting you all up for failure here, and I apologize, that was really cruel. We are, we are tempted to say the Gospels, and there's something very right about that. I was hoping you would all say the Gospels, the four books that talk about the life and teaching of Jesus. But do you know which one of the Gospels Jesus wrote? He didn't write any of them. His followers did. So what we actually have in the New Testament all of the books of the New Testament are Jesus' followers passing on his teachings. Four of them take the form of narratives about Jesus' life. The others take the form of instruction for a local church on how to follow Jesus. So I, I personally, and I, I'm, I'm pretty against the idea of picking some books as being more important than others in the Bible. Uh, I think all of our books of Scripture are inspired by the Holy Spirit and useful for our instruction in following Jesus. 
So what this means is our call to discipleship is a call to submit all that we are to all the teachings of Jesus. Notice how holistic this command just got. The purpose of the church is to bring people to faith in Christ and then to help and challenge us to bit by bit hand every area of our lives over to the teaching of Jesus. That's what we're here to do. Now, what's remarkable about this mission is you might be asking the question, that's really inward focused, isn't it? I mean, is that all we are as a church? It's just, we're just a church that's here to help us all grow. Who cares about the suffering world out there? But what will focusing on the teachings of Jesus actually force you to do? Someone actually asked Jesus, hey, what's the most important commandment? And he said, There's, the first and most important commandment is to love God with all your heart. And the second is very much like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And they said, whoa, 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 wait, so how do I know who my neighbor is? And Jesus told a little story about stumbling upon a person who is in need. And Jesus turned the question on its head. He didn't say, who is your neighbor? He said, who acted like a neighbor in this story? See, one of Jesus' commands, the ones that we're supposed to be all growing in, is to love our neighbor as ourselves. So suddenly, becoming like Jesus forces us to have eyes out on the world around us. And once again, far too often in the history of the church, we end up with these, these forced battles between two perspectives. Is the purpose of the church for us all to focus on our morality and becoming good Jesus followers? Or is the purpose of the church for us to go out and love the community? The minute we ask that question, we failed. The minute we ask as if, act as if we have a choice between the two, we're off. Does the church exist to do evangelism and get people saved? Or does the church exist to transform the community around them with love? The minute we ask that either or question, we're in trouble. You see, in the history of the church, every time those, questions, those ideas have been separated, disaster follows. When you have a church that says, we exist to get people saved and baptized and nothing else, we can ignore the community around us, that good news about following Jesus doesn't look so good to the community. On the flip side, when we start trying to say our church exists to do good in the community and we skip over the transformation that takes place by us following Jesus, suddenly there's all kinds of damage and harm that comes from a bunch of people going to try to fix other people's problems who haven't faced their own need for healing. And we become really bad helpers. And so instead, the model that Jesus gives us is become an apprentice, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Submit your life wholly to him so that he can get inside you and start working and transforming you. And part of that transformation is to have eyes up on the people around you, the people in immediate relationship with you. Nothing is going to be left off the radar. 
He's gonna be concerned about, about your internal life, about what your thoughts and your emotions and your desires and your will is. He's gonna be concerned about how you treat your family. He's gonna be concerned about how you live at work, how you treat your neighbor. Everything comes under his lordship because what authority has he been given? All of it. Nothing in your life sits outside the authority of Jesus. And so as a church, we exist. Our mission, what we are gonna be focusing on at Fellowship Mosaic is seeing people transformed to be like Jesus all across the spectrum. From somebody who's never known the name of Jesus to someone who's walked with him for 50 years. We want to see every person come under the lordship and the loving relationship of Christ and to be a kind of community that expresses that. So the way we say that at Fellowship is that our mission is to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ to Northwest Arkansas and the world. Knowing Christ points to that internal transformation side. Expressing him is that obedience that looks outward. Now, if the word spiritual leader trips you up, um, that was really driven, uh, that, that language is really driven out of the 80s when this church was planted. And I don't know if y'all know, but there's like this retail business in Northwest Arkansas that um, a lot of people have heard of. And there was a lot of leadership development language that was really prominent at the time. And so producing a spiritual leader was vocabulary that made a lot of sense. But we have a definition for a spiritual leader, and it's simply this. A spiritual leader is any maturing disciple with a ministry focus. Meaning it's anyone who is growing as a follower of Jesus who has a desire to serve and do the work God's given them. That's what we exist to do. We are a greenhouse that just wants to grow up Jesus followers who have a focus on living out what God's doing in their life elsewhere. So in the next two weeks, we're gonna talk about how that works in our large group gathering as we gather to worship. And we're gonna talk about how that works in our small group gathering. And we have examples of that going on all over the place. All the ministries we do from worship and small groups and children's ministry, all of it exists to make disciples. Now, some of you are like, I don't need any structure. Get out of my way and give me people. And that's great. God bless you. Some of you would really like to have some structures and step into. And that's one of the things we love to do when we call you to serve is we have structures like our small groups that exist to give you some tracks to walk on to learn how to make a disciple. And we've seen it happen over and over again. People like Kathy Raines, who has been pouring her love for Jesus into other women across this congregation for years, she poured into a woman named Jim, Jen Kanak. Jen said that early on, she just needed someone to teach her what it looked like to walk with Christ. And Kathy trained her in how to study the word. She trained her in how to pray and how to love others. And now, now Jen's been able to do that with other women that she's taken alongside and she's been leading in this. I think of people like Travis Jenkins who serves as, has served as an elder at our church. So he's thought big picture, where are we going? But I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I was talking to Travis and I said, hey, Travis, what would you think about leading a student ministry small group? And he said, what would someone my age have to say to a bunch of teenagers? I said, let's find out. And over the last several years, we've gotten to see Travis's faithfulness as he has walked alongside young men 
sometimes in some really hard situations. And he's been faithful again and again to see their lives transformed by Jesus. He's even had high schoolers that he led through their small group. They've gone off to school and training and now they're coming back around as young adults saying, Travis, will you keep investing in us? And he continues to do so. We have Kevin Nyer who has been serving in our preschool ministry for I don't know how long. He had my daughter in there 10 years ago. And he's still over there week in and week out teaching very little people what it looks like to follow Jesus. We have Becca Weber, who is a high school student who every week sits down with elementary kids and walks them through in a small group what it looks like to follow Jesus. Mimi Page, who who leads a student ministry small group and when they had to move their night that they gathered and one, one student wasn't able to make it anymore, she said, hey, I'll meet with you one-on-one so you can keep growing. College student. who just says, I'm gonna give them my time to see people transformed by Jesus. This is what we exist to do. We wanna see every person who comes through these doors have an encounter with Jesus and be transformed by him and then we want to set them loose on Northwest Arkansas and the world. Lord, may it it be so. Jesus, you have all authority. It all belongs to you. We want to submit to you in everything that we do. And God, you are with us. It is only because you're with us that we'll be able to do anything. If we try to reproduce ourselves and other people, it's doomed to failure. If we try to go out and fix the world, we're gonna make it worse than it was when we got there. But Lord, we believe that with your spirit inside of us, as we become transformed, we'll see the world transformed as well. We love you and praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I wanna tell you about one opportunity. Particularly if you're a lady in the room, and this has stoked something in you. The women's ministries around here are creating next steps for you to get involved in discipleship. And they would love, whether you're interested in saying, I want to pour into someone else or I want to be poured into, they have a, a way that you can just fill out a form and say, I'm interested, and they will follow up with you. If you go to that mosaic, nwa.org news, um, they would love to help you get connected. Everyone around here would love to help you find the next steps of making disciples in your life. And it's all for his glory that he would be made much of. So let's sing his praise together now. Family, would you stand as maturing disciples with us? Can we worship our king to close our time?
of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, if you would like to pray with someone, we will have our prayer team on the walls. Um, just look for a white badge. They would love to pray with you tonight. And we have our info booth out in the foyer, the middle of the foyer. Um, we would love to meet you. We would love to um, know you and get you plugged in and answer any questions that you might have about Fellowship Mosaic. Uh, we have, oh, sorry. So... We've been ending our services with, let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people say, thanks, thanks be to God. God. Good night, Mosaic. <laughs>